survivors and welcome to Syringe, a The Evil Within podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 16 and we return to the mind of Resident Evil's grandpappy Shinji Mikami in our look back at his directorial swan song, The Evil Within. I'm your host Sai and joining me in Beacon Mental Hospital this week... Crimson City Detective Blues, he's got him, it's Kelsey, aka Mr. KDB. Hello. <laughs> and the evil lives in you. That's a Lion King reference for some reason, I don't know, it's been a long week. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello, everybody. The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only help keep us afloat, but also create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. So usually with our bonus episodes, we have musical interludes. That's become kind of the tradition, but not the case this time. Uh, Evil Within is one of those few cases, being so close to Resident Evil, that it actually has files. Uh, so some rare file readings in a bonus episode this time. So shout out to Sean from Carrier, a Raccoon City story. Uh, you can find him over at Carrier underscore 1998 on Twitter and Instagram. And do check out Carrier on YouTube. It's a kind of Max Payne style uh, inspired detective story in Raccoon City at the sort of start of the fallout of the, you know, the T-virus outbreak. It's it's really interesting and uh, looking forward to seeing more of that. So he will be uh, gracing us with his voice of Sebastian um, throughout this episode just to break things up. So this episode in question, it feels like it's been a little while since we did a Pile of Shame podcast. Uh, so much so that, you know, since our last one, we had a new member of the team join uh, and we had half of us have games picked from it. So we kind of reset the whole field. Everybody picked new games, seven games to pick from. Fairly strong and very varied field of games, I think. But I'm not overly surprised that the Evil Within uh, won out as the the first pick from that pool. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this game that released in 2014. It's known as Psycho Break in Japan. Um, it has Metacritic scores that range depending on what format you played it on. It came out for Xbox One, PlayStation 4 and PC and they range between 68 and 79. And the sort of critical response similarly also ranged. Uh, game Informer gave it 9 out of 10. CVG and uh, Official Xbox Magazine both gave it 8 out of 10. Famitsu 35 over 40. Uh, and closer to the bottom, Joystick gave it 2.5 out of 5. Uh, Giant Bomb 2 out of 5. And 6.5 out of 10 from Polygon. Um, it did fairly well in the sales, obviously. It's 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 garnered a sequel. Um, and this will possibly come up in the podcast. But of note, seven months after the game release was a patch to remove the forced widescreen aspect ratio. I remember that being a whole thing. Um, so before we kind of reveal who picked this, uh, the two of us that have played the game before, uh, you know, I'm interested to know everyone's first impressions and experiences, of course. So, Steve, um, what was it like for you the first time you played Evil Within? Rough. Uh, my first interpretation of playing this game was on the Xbox 360. At least I think it was. Uh, and I had oh, was it? Well, I didn't even realise that. See, I've bad, yeah. done terrible research. It came out on the previous generation as well, did it? It did. Yeah, and... Okay. Uh, those borders were atrocious, and it was uh, I played on survival, survival difficulty. I had a person with me the entire time going, "Why are we playing this, Stephen?" Uh, just <laughs> getting through it to uh, the the end, and it, it was one of those games where we go through it and a sigh of relief. So it's uh, it's been an interesting time to come back to. 
Interesting. That is interesting indeed. Yeah, because I remember it being a very early um, game for what was the new generation at that point, Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Um, I played it on Xbox One. It was probably one of the earliest games that I played for my Xbox One. This would have been right at the end of 2015, I think. So not immediately upon release. But um, I seem to remember a friend basically just said, I don't remember what their impression of the game was, but they they had bought it and then they just passed it on to me and said, oh, you might enjoy this. And I was obviously interested because, you know, Mikami and his history with Resident Evil. And I had been following um, the project sort of in its marketing and, and the way they talked about that he was trying to return to horror a bit more um, for the genre that had fallen slightly deep into the action well and and had sort of struggled you know looking at use something like resident evil 5 perhaps uh, so i was kind of yeah i was kind of interested um i played through it on casual the first time i played through it just to get through it as fast as possible because i was at the time i was doing the youtube thing uh, playing a game a week so i just wanted to get through it um, and i did a review and the, my opinions that i ha- held at the time of that review are fairly different to say the least than they are now uh i'll get into that when we get there so kelsey you've never played or at least never played that much of the evil within before what's your previous experience of it been like yeah so i I only played a very small bit i like you i remember hearing that mikami was making a new horror game um the first thing i ever saw of it was a tv ad the marketing for it was like really intensive Mm. um you know i remember like the bus stops with the posters and things like that um and i picked it up originally for the xbox one about a year after release in one of those buy two for 25 quid game and i played the first three chapters and then fallout 4 released and i never played it again um and my initial reaction was i mean it was intriguing i was definitely intrigued but i remember it feeling a bit sluggish and those black bars like i'm glad you mentioned them because that was my first thing like I was lucky that I played this game when the patch had already come out because as soon as I turned it on, I was like, well, let's get rid of them. It isn't until sort of reading up about the game now I realised that people had to wait like nine months for that patch to release those back bars. Um, So, yeah, I was intrigued, but I never got stuck into it, uh, obviously, until until now. Yeah, I think that was one of those cases. I mean, don't quote me on this, but I seem to remember that kind of being a response from the studio of being like, well, no, this is kind of like our intent and we'd like people to play it this way. It was kind of designed with this in mind. Um, and it, it did seem like that they weren't really interested in giving players the option to turn those back bars off. So hence, yeah, like seven or eight months or whatever until they finally went, yeah, go on then. You can play it like any other video game. Uh, was it not <laughs> like a um, Digital Foundry or some other group that turned around and said, these black bars aren't even saving memory. They are just like obscuring players vision i really wouldn't i wouldn't have been surprised i think it was a stylistic choice rather than you know yeah helping mm. the game run faster but it was not met well i think and i guess maybe we'll get more into this when we get to talking about sort of the way the game looks and stuff like that but i think mm. most important place to start beyond that is probably atmosphere because as i sort of alluded to there and as far as i remember i could be again my memory's terrible i could remember but i remember there being a lot of talk about um, a return to horror, bringing horror back into the sort of third-person action genre, which, uh, you know, speaking for myself then, who 
even five this is only five years ago slightly different views on it did sort of and i'm sure many people had the same sort of reaction of like well yeah mikami but you were kind of the downfall of survival horror anyway you're the one that took it away from horror and put more of an action focus on it you know for, for better or for worse whatever but it's interesting that he was the one that sort of turned around and went i want to make a game like that but i really want to make horror a, 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 a focus point of the whole experience so i think atmosphere is the best place to start uh kelsey why don't you start us off what what your general thoughts on the atmosphere of the game maybe sort of like the early half before we sort of get in deep but uh how do you feel about the spooky wookiness of evil within did it satiate that you think sort of a obviously you're playing away after the fact but the, the the need for horror sure um I mean, like I said, I remember seeing the TV adverts and the marketing campaign and it looking like a horror game and me getting excited. Um, obviously, I didn't pick it up till it was kind of on sale, but it was the horror in the marketing did grab me. And then as far as it comes to the game, um, I mean, it's like it's in, in parts, it's really solid. And then it's just kind of non-existent in others, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And we're going to talk a lot about horror and sort of the horror or lack of in this game at certain times. But so like just from the beginning, the opening titles are great. Like they're really, really good. It's they're very of the time. It's almost like a recreation of The Walking Dead or something like that. Mm. Um, it sets a really nice tone, looks like a horror game, feels like a horror game. And right from the sort of get-go, a lot of effort has gone into creating something with depth and atmosphere and an interesting tone. But then, as we'll talk about, it sort of almost tries a bit too hard. And despite intentions, there's a lot of times where it comes off a bit flat. And when you're sometimes when you're standing still, it looks great and feels very atmospheric. But then you start moving around and things get lost. Um, so there's definitely something there with the atmosphere. And this game sits in a weird position where it tries to look realistic. And we'll, again, sort of, we'll talk more about graphics later, but it, it sort of hurts the atmosphere because of the graphics. And, but at the start, there's lots of great stuff in the initial village section, I think, mm. um, and parts of the hospital. The streets section is just completely devoid of atmosphere. And I think that section should have been cut from the game. Um, but atmospheric and atmosphere-wise, it's a really good effort. Lots of considered choices. But the atmosphere you do kind of get to grasp on then just sort of gets blown away by a few other things. Mm. There's a few locations that I think are, as you said, really well done and memorable. Um, the early stuff, save for the prologue, which is a whole other thing. Once you actually get your hands on controlling the game, sort of like the outside woodland area with this village in it. That's, I think, really rather well done. Um, and I remember that being good for my first playthrough, and it it was it was still cool. You know, who doesn't love the uh, Mr. Peruk turnaround zombie all over again mm. in it? You know, that, that's cool. It looks really good. Um, and some of the, the mental hospital stuff, um, we'll talk about various aspects of that area but the bits with the invisible enemy and stuff like in terms of the way that area looks and feels is pretty cool um i didn't remember that from the first time i played it but this time it definitely left um the, the location <laughs> left a positive impression on me but maybe not so much the enemies but we'll get to that um but yes i agree with you it's, it definitely doesn't hold throughout the whole thing steve thoughts on atmosphere 
Well, it's, it's it's good at setting a tone for its appropriate genre it's shifted into because this is a game that like morphs. It goes from grindhouse to Japanese horror to you know Mitterville like Western style horror kind of tropes and things. Mm. But it never does anything overarchingly strong. I feel yeah, it, it feels like it's it's too busy trying to wear as many hats as possible. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's it's at its best when it's basically you know survival horror manhunt slash tenchu where you're trying to get through a horde of monsters because you know Shinji Mikami has dictated you can only have about ten bullets so you have to figure out a way to deal with monsters and things that way when the, the atmosphere is something you're generating yourself by trying to be discreet and sneaky in mm. these uh, I mean they all fit the tone I think I, I, the city like like my uh, my compadres here is probably the part where it loses a lot of its uh, luster for an atmosphere because it's literally it's just dreary streets and gunfights and one bit that's clearly been stolen from amnesia uh, just <laughs> you know not quite in a dusty castle instead it's a city street it, yeah it, like I said, it, when it's trying to be scary it's all right different kinds of scares the only part that really got on my nerves was when it's trying to be grindhousey right at the start but i'm, I'm assuming we're going to get there you know the the prologue for this game is 100 percent one of the worst things about it in my opinion and the atmosphere there is dreadful. Mm. Yes, I definitely have things to say about specific points of that. Yeah, I think we're all definitely in agreement. Um, you know, the last bunch of chapters is really... <laughs> all of that attempting to sort of sustain a survival horror vibe, sometimes well, sometimes bad. Uh, but the last few chapters completely throw it away for me. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to dive right to the end of the game. But for a game that starts out with you steve as you just sort of said sort of kind of you sneaking around and stuff like that around the little villagey area which um as i said is one of my favorite parts and then by the end of that game you're riding on the mounted turret you know on the back of a jeep and like again Shinji mikami being like i want to bring horror back it's like yeah but you've fallen into all the same trappings of every single wannabe horror action game that has come mm-hmm. since resident evil 4 and evil within unfortunately fell into the same hole um it does it, you're right, it tries a, a lot of things under sort of pretense of dream logic. And here's the thing. Yeah. Dream logic is terrible for a video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Nail awful. On the head. It's, that's the main problem like, with it is that it's really hard to stay focused on the game or feel like you've progressed anywhere when you're suddenly just being dropped into another location entirely. Um, you know, oh man, I finally got away from the crazy monster that hates fire or whatever. Uh, I'm running down a new hallway now. Ha! Huh, to safety. Oh no, I'm somewhere else now. It's like, well, okay. And that, by that same token, can you just drop me back in the boss fight if I was getting away? Like, it, just, it doesn't really make any sense. It's it. And this is right. So this is a whole other thing. Like, say what you like about the quality of a game like Resident Evil Three Remake. A lot of complaints about the length of the game. This game is proof positive that longer isn't always necessarily better because if this was a, a neater experience and the fat was trimmed, um, I definitely wouldn't be coming in quite as hard as I am in the first 15 minutes and I've got a lot more to say. Uh, so that's that's my big sticking point. Any more further thoughts on atmosphere? <laughs> I want to, I want like, can no. we can we go in hard on the intro? Because it really, like, this is almost like, yeah. this is the part that made me go Wait, from... Let's do that because I don't want to talk about the end. So let's start about, the, let's talk about the beginning. You're right. All right, okay. So <laughs> for, for the uh, for the listener who wants to recap, right? So basically you, Sebastian, and your, your cohorts, Kidman and Oda, go into a uh, into a hospital. It's all nice and spooky. There's blood everywhere, corpses. 
Uh, you know, it's kind of atmospheric. You see a mad doctor who's preaching about something, and then you know you see something on a monitor, and then you pass out, and then you are subjected to what I can only call the most cliched. Uh, I don't know. Get ready to censor this. Sorry. Torture in a video game. I think <laughs> any game should dare to start with, especially considering that the mechanics used you will maybe half on, half half heartedly not use. Like you have to uh, sneak around a one hit kill monster and then run mm. through a deadly gauntlet and then at a crippling like one quarter your movement speed pace, yeah. run for about 50 meters before doing another arbitrary stealth section or you get one hit killed over and over again at the same pace. Uh, it's tedious, it's boring, and especially this early in the game, you know, you don't even get time to really appreciate the setting that you're in like a, a madman's murder dungeon. It's meant to be like very Texas Chainsaw. But this thing wound me up so much that I was going to go through this game for this but the playthrough uh, for this recording as preparation on the harder difficulty. I got to that room, flipped my, you know, flipped my uh, collective and had to go back on easy mode just for the sake of something different. Now, I've already beat this game at a reasonable difficulty. I thought it was a uh, party challenge, which we'll get into when we talk about gameplay. But mm. this mm -hmm. is its unbearable. It, it's like it, the it, start it, of MGS5, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, no, at least in that you can skip most of the cutscenes <laughs> and just walk yeah. forward 10 steps. This is, it's, whoever thought this was a great idea, a great opener. This is more mm -hmm. of a uh, like middle of the game kind of thing where you get depowered and have to struggle, which this sure. game also does anyway. Like you know, it's... I, I don't really. I mean, it's funny because I made the RE3 remake comparison, and obviously that game also has an opening segment which is incredibly linear, where you have to run away from Nemesis, and then even after that, really, you have to do a, a bunch of just go. F in a straight line until you get basically to the actual gameplay. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but how many times are you slamming up a brick wall of death in your way whenever you make a slight misstep and if you yeah. don't move? Well, exactly that. Pace. At least it's consistent. You're always moving with this. As you say, there's the really slow parts and then there's the stealthy parts and there's this. It just goes on too long. And the most egregious thing, and I remember thinking this the first time I did it was, it asks you to get in a locker to hide from a monster, and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then it never comes up again in the game. Like, no, you've never, no. no, I don't believe anyone who tells me they use that. And maybe, okay, maybe on more than normal difficulties you have to, but if you're playing through on normal or less, it's not a thing. In fact, in the latter half of the game, there isn't any lockers anyway, because the game just forgets that it's a thing. <laughs> like, what was the point then? It was like, you yeah. didn't really give me a taste of what this game is. It seems incredibly arbitrary. The game actually starts after the prologue. Right? Mm, yeah. Well, one hit death prologue is not what I'd call a fun time, especially at that pace. Yeah. I there's, no, there's no real narrative bones to swing it together. It's just, oh, yeah, you're in a murder dungeon and there's a maniac. Get out. Oh, he's also got like a torture cavern where massive giant blades come out, which is visually a spectacle. Fine. But it's gameplay wise, tedious as all balls. Mm. Yes, Sorry. exactly. It's uh, it's it's just not very representative of what the rest of the game is. And I think trying to be a little bit more positive, I think it, it I think it's hugely flawed and especially dated at this point. But the gameplay of the game is definitely one of the strongest parts. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, so to have this at the beginning is it's a real shame because it it could be you know a huge turn off for someone that's never played the game before and plays this and goes, oh, this is not what I wanted. And they might just kind of lose all their excitement at that stage. But the game has some cool stuff to come from it. 
<laughs> Would you argue it's a tone setter at all, though? Like, because the rest of the game is not reflective of this. this I mean, awful bit. Yeah, n- not really. Like, I can sort of understand because it's like, oh, I'm suddenly doing all these different things and bouncing around these these unimaginable giant blades in this hospital that have sprung from nowhere and stuff like that. I guess that's kind of true of. The, the game in go through it and kind of meet as if like, oh, I'm suddenly here, I'm suddenly here. Like I said, it gets tiring by about the midway point, but some of the transitions are actually kind of cool, I'll admit, and some of the the ideas they do with it are really cool. Um, personal favourites being an easy one, just being dragged under um, like ankle-high water, which suddenly, I guess, becomes incredibly deep. You just fall through that and then you're somewhere else. That's a cool idea. You're falling down a giant hole and then it just spins 90 degrees and you just roll into the wall. Uh, that's really cool. But this one is just, yeah. It's... Going to lift and then you're out of there. Congratulations. Yeah, it just didn't It just didn't need to be here, basically. <laughs> it really yeah. could have been like a minute long and then you get into the game. And there you go. <laughs> and this isn't even the cool, like, keeper villain with the flipping safe round. No, this is just some dude with leather around his face. Not not yeah. le- not another face like you know with a face made of faces. He doesn't just, come back, does he? This guy, you know, he does. Again? He, he, he comes does. twice. Yeah, he does. A couple oh, of okay. times. It's just Fair a enough. dude with straps around his head. It's like the most boring design I've ever seen on planet <laughs> boring, covered in meat. Yeah, it's so generic. And now, reading documents from the evil within in character as Sebastian Castellanos. Sean from Carrier, a Raccoon City story, who you can find on Twitter at Carrier underscore 1998. Finally got my gold badge. Detective Sebastian Castellanos. I like the sound of that. Seems a long time coming, but they say that I'm one of the fastest ever to rise to the ranks. Can't wait to get started. I know that I can do more good as a detective than I ever could as a beat cop. Plus, I don't have to wear that damned uniform anymore. The pay bump doesn't hurt either. KCPD needs all the help they can get. There's a seemingly disproportionate amount of crime these days. Crimson City is my home, and it's my job to protect it. Shall we move on to... The gameplay then, mm. I think. Um, Kelsey, how did you feel about yes. the gameplay of this? Again, coming at it, someone who's not really played it all that much. Um, and keep bearing in mind that the game is quite old now. You know, it's, it's not far off. Was it eight, nine, about eight years old now? Eight, so, eight years old, I think. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the way that it plays? Um, mm-hmm. And and how, you know, is that aged well or not? Um, uh, I mean, you you said the, the gameplay is is by far the strongest aspect of this game it's missing a polish um but it gets a lot of points from me elsewhere um obviously it's very similar to re4 we know that you know we talk about that all day but um generally well first basic movement can feel a bit clunky and sluggish and this is what i mean by it's missing a polish but there's loads of other good stuff Mm. like it's so multifunctional there is so much you can do um it doesn't feel restrictive you have freedom you know you mentioned the lockers it's kind of funny you know i did the exact same thing went in the locker at the start there and then never did ever again you can also yeah, go under, be- under beds which i never did either um <laughs> so but 
you know, and it gives you this freedom in how you explore and how you defeat enemies, you know, and I love the fact that if you want to play it com- basically almost completely stealth, you can, but mm. you don't have to. You can go in all guns blazing. Um, the The progression system is very, very good and my probably my favourite thing about the whole game. I personally, I really like it when a game lets you tailor to your play style rather than forcing you to play, you know, its own way. And I think this is kind of really important with um these story these sort of immersive story driven games as opposed to you know fighting or racing when it's like okay this they're they're pretty standard there's one almost one way to play those games mm-hmm. but with this you know you you can stealth you can snipe you can shotgun it it does add to the immersion makes it feel far less linear it makes you you know with the progression makes you consider how to spend your uh, green gel there's kind of no right or wrong way to do it. And that, for me, makes the game a lot more enjoyable. Um, and I think if there were restrictions in place kind of without this system, I'm not sure I would have finished the game. Um, if I was forced to hide in those lockers over and over again, I, yeah, it would have been a bit of a struggle. Um, and it's not that the game needs all that stuff, but when it falls flat elsewhere, this stuff, this freedom, rescues it a bit for me. So that I really, really like, and I have to give it points there. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's very freeing, as I'm saying. I did, you know, I didn't like the save system. It's frustrating and probably added about 40 minutes to my playtime. There's yeah. a huge lack of auto-saves as well. Mm. Um, but what I will say is, knowing Mikami, this feels like it's done on purpose, and it can be but it can be punishing to the point where it's not fun because the game is so boring in parts. <laughs> so mm. when you die and you've got to replay more than you'd like to, it's really frustrating. And all those one hit kill scenarios are very, very annoying and only add to that frustration. Um, but in all, like I say, it's, it's quite, it's not open world, but you can explore, you can, you know, that you can, you can use traps, you can use your weapons, you can use stealth and, there's lots to do, which, dare I say, makes certain aspects of this game fun. So I, <laughs> I enjoyed the gameplay a lot. Yes, I would largely agree with a lot of that. I think um, the free, there is it. It's it's funny because it doesn't. If you were to list some of the stuff that you can do in terms of combat, it's it's you know there's grenades, a handgun, a shotgun, a sniper rifle, and a crossbow. Uh, yeah, that's it's about fists. and you yeah well uh, <laughs> and that too I suppose, but which doesn't sound like a lot, but I know what you mean, um, especially the way that you can kind of it's not like hang on A hang on B hang on C it's one gun and you upgrade it however you like or not at all mm-hmm. if you don't want to use a sniper rifle you don't have to use any of your green goo on that you can put it wherever you like so I agree I like the upgrade system I think if you wanted to upgrade everything it probably gets a little bit grindy probably but again that's not a thing that you necessarily need to do and if you like the game enough that you're going to play it through multiple times then you know if that assuming there's a new game plus which i i would guess there is yeah Yeah, i I would think so this was the beginning of that sort of era um then sure you can just max out everything and why not that sounds like a good time i think the crossbow is both times i played this is something that i looked at and went "Mm, not so sure about this you know i like what I know with the mechanical, classical, traditional guns. But the crossbow is actually incredibly useful. And 
to a certain extent, because this is sort of harkening back to the survival horror days, uh, I found this especially this time around when I played it on standard rather than casual. I kind of had to use everything at my disposal because I didn't really have a whole lot of everything. So <laughs> there were bits where I was like, I was avoiding using the crossbow, and then was like, I haven't got any ammo. All I've got is parts to make crossbow bolts. Okay, and then you go, oh, actually, this thing's kind of awesome. <laughs> so I agree. You know, it's it's good fun playing with all the different kinds of crossbow boats. Your electroshock, your your freeze, your explodey rounds, everything like that. You sort of flashbang, so you can sneak his hack and uh, yeah it's, it's good i generally generally enjoyed it steve how did you feel about the sort of larger sweep of the gameplay and the combat uh, as an overall i think you you guys have really hit all the notes i wanted to hit with the uh, thing i'll link is it's got very punishing supply you know a, a supply you know there's never a point where you'll have enough and your ammo capacities are so small that you won't be able to like build up a stockpile to like oh, i yeah. can't save these for a good i can't save this for a rainy day which is a you know, positive in a way that it kind of forces you to use what you've got. Uh, the crossbow is busted. Uh, I would argue <laughs> it's like there is a, there is a bolt for everything, and that's fantastic because it takes a lot of time and effort, and it's the one resource you can find in the environment to craft. Um, mm. I wanted to touch on the stealth a bit because the stealth can go one of two ways. Even if you're bad at stealth, this game still kind of rewards you because there's uh, like glass bottles you can use to distract the enemies and then lure them yeah. into a place to give them a shank. Or... If you're a reckless maniac like myself, you use it as an opportunity to press the advantage, in which case you throw the bottle at an enemy's face and then you somehow, quote-unquote, get a stealth kill. Um, but this game also has uh, the ability to burn bodies, and if mm. enemies are in a proximity, burning bodies will then lead to a chain reaction where they set on fire and then does massive damage, which means yep. there's lots of potential there outside of just gunplay that you can melee or you know use like you know things in the environment to press your advantage as well. Uh, I think is uh, one of its bigger strengths. The fact that, you know, technically, oh no, I have two handgun bullets and a shotgun shell. F my life. But then there is a there is a wooden axe and a bottle and a pack of matches and all of a sudden this battle is mine. That the <laughs> fact that the game gives you like st strange opportunities to like, you know, think outside the box is great. Um, and as as my compatriots have said, there are there are different ways to play it. You can play it as an action gun maniac from this that right from the second you get that gun. You won't have much ammo for it. You might be running a lot, but you can still just shoot your way through things. Mm. Um, I, I, it's hard though. I, I actually don't like the uh, the green gel progression system in this. I feel like the there is too little for how much you have to ex have to spend half the time. Um, how do I put it? Like you can invest. 20,000 of your currency in getting a marginal bit of health, or you can get it for an extra second of sprint time between recharging. It feels like for how much, and that's a lot of gel. That's like, that's like a, oh, a yeah. boss and a half. Yeah. Uh, you know, it feels like you have to do an awful lot to get very little and you have to get by, but the game does provide you with enough tools that hopefully you can find your own way through anyway. Sure. Uh, even if it is by the skin of your teeth. And then we get to the later end game where all of a sudden there is ammo in abundance everywhere, giant like weird monsters in a car park, and you're firing from a Humvee, giant amalgamated mess of a thing with a dome on its head, and it's uh, it goes from being a stealth hunty action game that's a bit like a Last of Us with a few extra steps and traps to a complete and utter fluster cluck. Yes, my uh, my partner said that the final boss in this game is essentially the Heisenberg boss fight from Resident Evil Village, <laughs> and, and she's not wrong. That's the thing. So it looks throwing cars at you. I was like, 
Oh, yeah, actually, you got a point. That's just absolute, absolute nonsense. As I said, it really does it, it completely go off a cliff. And, yeah, it ruins any goodwill at that point. But there you go. The thing that does me is you get this, like, gauntlet before then where you fight the monsters as you have been doing. But then it's like any, any thought and care and how you've built your character and how you have actually made your strategies and style goes out of the window for the sake of you shooting off of a Humvee and then firing a gun that's just been thrown in your hands like win the game it's like that's not fun after spending all the time and you have spent a lot of time building up your quote-unquote Sebastian Mm. mm, I don't know it rubs me the wrong way that's fair what you were saying about balance of ammo and enemies I think I mean, survival horror doesn't really have any proper definition, does it? But I think that's always been one thing is sort of resource management and stuff like that, um, which this game does try to do. When I played it the first time on casual, I was inclined to agree. I had a great time. It was just about right where it was like, you know, I've just got about enough to get through every time. Um, This time around on standard, I don't know if I agree with that. I actually found it a lot more frustrating than kind of rewarding. There are, you know, you say... You can play the game all guns blazing, and yeah, okay, you might run out of ammo, but then you'll just have to run away. But mm. there are several points where, you know, like choke points where it's like, okay, you have to kill all the enemies to progress. And then it just yeah. starts throwing loads of enemies at you. And it's like, well, I don't really have enough to make this work. The, you know, that freedom suddenly gets very reduced when it's like, well, I've literally gone through caveat, everything I have. That, well, exactly, exactly that. You know, and yeah, just. That's where the fun sort of died off when it was like, I'm no longer having fun worrying about my supplies. I'm now just kind of exhausted by looking at the zeros and being like, well, I kind of feel... (laughs) This game, obviously, you know, it's a horror game. It's not meant to be a power fantasy or anything like that, but it's like, well, why should I bother? You know, I might as well just let them kill me. I say the the hard mode, uh, sorry, the the standard mode in uh, Evil Within is easily what would be comparable to most action games of its genre is hard mode. If not, if not even tighter than that, uh, so much so that in the sequel, it is rec- it's recognised that the ha- the the hardest mode of availability at the start is literally equivalent to the standard difficulty of right. Even, okay, you That's know, so um, very uh, very much. I think that if you want to have a fun time playing this game and just want to enjoy it as an action game or a stealth, you know, stealth action game, you play it on casual. If you want to like you know go in hard and prove how badass you are, that's when you go on in a difficulty above it. And the worst case, the worst part is there's more punishing difficulties above standard. And that's not to belittle size experience because survival mm-hmm. is no joke. Mm-hmm. That's good to, that yeah. is good to know. Yeah. I, mean, this, I played yeah. it on casual just, just to sort of make my perspective clear mm-hmm. because I had heard the game was punishing. So I was like, I haven't got time to mess around. So I played it on casual and I ran out of ammo a few times, but I, it was never so much of a struggle. You know, I always had the, the crossbow yeah. to go back to. I, sort of like I finished the game on my first playthrough in casual. I didn't finish it this time, to be honest. Um, yeah. By the city streets, some of the areas where they just keep throwing enemies at you and you don't have enough to deal with it is bad enough. Mm-hmm. And as Steve mentioned, like, when I well, when I played it on casual, um, I didn't really ever bother burning bodies. It never really even came up. You know, if you can, it's, it is the crimson head mechanic. You take the head off or whatever. Uh, and you don't have to worry about burning the body. So that's tended to be the way in casual and standard. It's a lot more difficult. And they get up really fast when they go down. So you don't get a very big window for burning bodies. So if you're in an enemy, if you're in a scrap with a load of enemies and they're all coming at you, you, you put down one of them. Okay, I'm going to rush over to his body and quickly burn it and see if I can catch the guys running over him. Nope, he'll get up way too fast. Or, yeah. you know, 
you won't get the chance because another enemy hits you. So you're constantly putting ammo into enemies that are falling down and getting back up, falling down and getting back up. You know, if, you, if their heads aren't just going pop for whatever reason. So that kind of went from being something that I didn't even really worry about at all in casual to being kind of, again, frustrating in the, the standard mode. But there you go. Uh, it, that's one of the many things of this where, you know, you can. this game could be called Evil Within. This game can be called Psycho Break. It can also be called Shinji Mikami Plays the Hits. Because it's got, oh, it's yes. got, yeah, it's got Mr. Peruk turnaround zombie, as we said. It's got crimson head yeah. burnings, like we said. The control scheme is weirdly like a bad version of RE4. It's fine. I think that is time. But it does seem odd that they took away stuff like the 180 degree turn um, and a designated melee knifing button that Leon has that I really could have done with instead of accidentally shooting boxes when I meant to be meant to yeah. punch them open, right? That would, yeah. that would have been nice. Like it plays, it plays fine, but it's, I feel like it did feel like a bit of a step back from RE4. And as yes. I mentioned earlier, the invisible enemies as well, which Mikami just is obsessed with. Um, and they weren't fun. They just weren't fun. Like conceptually it's fine. You know, especially the area that you fight them in the hospital where all the stuff's moving around. It's cool on standard. They just weren't, worth fighting at all in the slightest because they were moving way too fast to pin down just uh, yeah again no ammo so okay bye <laughs> did we uh overall though did we enjoy the stealth and stuff like that do you think yeah the stealth. i think yeah. the stealth feels good yeah because I, I think it's its strongest aspect which carried over into its, uh, its two dlc story campaigns where mm -hmm. they they emphasize it to the point where you can carry like no weapons for most of it uh when you do get a weapon it is a true like you know oh thank god i can finally do something with it uh but even then, you get like ten shotgun shells max for the entire thing. Mm. Uh, but they really went hard in, like you know, you've got like a proper cover to cover mechanic. You can bait enemies and sneak around them. It feels like they played to the, the strongest strengths. I just thought I'd shout it out because the, the the expansions are more of a non-combat focused evasion game where you're solving puzzles against one-hit monsters and some weird Easter eggs as well. As, as, as an aside, uh, but uh, yeah, if you enjoy the stealth in the main base game. I recommend playing the DLCs, even if you had a terrible time with supply management and of the, the base game's gameplay. Mm. I'm just saying this now because I feel like we're not going to touch on the DLC much other than its story. I was um, going to say, it's probably about time to talk the story, and I think the DLC is uh, <laughs> certainly going to come up. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, in that case, um, I guess so. Uh, we uh, Steve's kind of already mentioned sort of the basics of the story of sort of going into... Uh, you know, being a detective, going into a mental hospital where some kind of accident's taken place, there's some kind of hooded figure walking around, and then suddenly you're sort of bouncing between strange locations in a very dream logic kind of way. Um, I don't know if there's much more to say about sort of a synopsis without just really going into the weeds with it than that. Um, but also, I, I think story is definitely the thing I have the least to say about and also uh, not a whole lot of positives. So I'm really just going <laughs> to pass the ball over. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the plot? It's a mess. Yeah, you know, <laughs> having played through the whole thing, it's it's. I enjoy it for what it is. You know, it's very. Uh, it feels like this could have been a Resident Evil thing, unsurprisingly so. You know, um, but there's a lot of contrivances and stuff that just doesn't make sense. The 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 general gist is that you, the policeman Sebastian, basically pick up the wrong phone call and go with your buddies and get caught in a whole smattering of horrible events, and then get pulled into a killer's mind. And then basically you have to go through their like mind torture games to find a way out and maybe save a child along the way. Maybe not. And that's it. You know, you're going through a weird inception-like 
nightmare dream logic place, killing monsters at the behest of a psychopath who's at the core of it, like the main brain of this entire operation. It's the the Matrix, uh, but really, really, <laughs> instead of instead of people batteries, it's uh, evil psychopath like torture machine. Uh, yes. the, the, the weird the weird rug pull is when you go into the DLC. This is implied to be a uh, a prototype model where they don't want to use a psychopath. They just had to at the time. And it's got a wireless plug-in function where because Sebastian and co. have this like weird proximity, they get pulled in. And then they get plugged in baths later. The, the whole thing is it's meant to be a mental brainwashing machine. And uh, by an evil shady corporation who's not really mentioned at all in the main game except for like a few handful of scenes. Mm. So it doesn't really factor into the like the, the main plot. It, it factors a lot into the sequel, this evil corporation trying to make a brainwashing machine that like can plug people in. In the main game, it's just you're some poor guy stuck in an evil bugger's mind who's trying to get out and kill anyone in his way. Very, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase? A, a, a long way around a short road? Mm. Like, mm. I, I, yeah. My, my thing, I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to just like point my index finger into the belly of this game and tell it how much of a disappointment it is. Um, it, I, my complaints that this game needs to be a hell of a lot shorter I think I would say a very, very, very valid. And also, more than anything, most of that stuff that's in the DLC, just put that in the game. Why is that not in the game? Like, with this low, pointless stuff that doesn't actually amount to anything in the main campaign of the game, you get to, I don't know, something like chapter eight or nine before you actually start getting some explanation of, you know, who this Ruvik character is and sort of what happened to him and what's going on before you, you know, start understanding why you've been bouncing around all these weird locations. Uh, you know, cut out a bunch of that stuff beforehand or at least, you know, truncate it down and start explaining, you know, the backstory of the machine and the corporation, like you say, Steve, which I don't really know anything about because I've never played the DLC at all. Um, it could have been I've, an A and a B campaign. Like, yeah, you know. I've heard good things, but I shouldn't... They shouldn't. No, no, I, I, I totally agree. You don't, you don't get any exposition besides like people suffering and stuff until like halfway through, and then it's like, realize, oh yeah, you're going through a maniac's mind. Like, right, oh. I shouldn't be expected to play the DLC to understand the main game. I think is nope. what I'm trying to say. No, 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 that's a, that's a big that's a big no no in Steve's book. I think it's you know it, it's fun that it's there, and I enjoy the stealth gameplay and the visuals and stuff. But the actual fact that you know the true context, the separate ways of the game, so to speak, sure. is is you know a purchase outside of the main thing is uh no, no it is not good it, it is despicable yeah um, i think Ways is a brilliant like comparison as well in fact because re4 obviously fantastic you know you can play just you could play just the core game if you want and have a great time and understand the story uh and then you can play separate ways which just bolts on extra stuff uh, whereas this is kind of like the reverse, where it's like, if you want to understand the story, just play the DLC. It won't really make a whole lot of sense, like, why you're jumping from scene to scene. But that's okay, because it doesn't make much sense in the core game either. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some kind of, like, surreal stuff, having seen uh, people do deep dives on the lore, and bless them, they've gone in hard. Uh, you know, like, from Kidman's perspective in the DLC, there's some scenes you see that are very different from how they are when you're playing a Sebastian. Mm. The point where it's the same scene, yes, but they are seeing different things and slightly different things are occurring. And even then, like what you think is a one person in one reality and isn't necessarily another person in another person's reality. It's a, a nice little uh, mind bending trip from that perspective. But it's just a, it's weird. It feels like it's a, it's a lot of it is setting up for the sequel. I'm guessing, but the yeah. the fact 
which is fine because the sequel allowing spoilers, you know, I know most folks aren't going to play it, is better, narratively less of a mess, and the gameplay is just generally all the good bits of the first one. You know, two thumbs up. Um, yeah, I have lost my train of thought, but basically don't put true endings as DLC. It, it's not good for Asura's yeah. Wrath. It's not, it's not good for this. It certainly wasn't good for, like, you know, how many JRPGs back in the day? All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, Kelsey, how do you feel about the... Uh, now that we, <laughs> we've gone in on it, how do you feel about the plot? Tell us how great it is. Um, well, I'm just going to roll my sleeves up. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so, right. It's very clear that Shinji Mikami wants to make like his horror masterpiece with this game. Mm. And I feel like we're in a sort of uh, like a Lars von Trier or a Zack Snyder situation where either he's trying too hard and it becomes a convoluted mess or... In like another 10 years, we're all going to look back at this game and go, it was absolutely genius. What a legend Mikami is. Um, I'm leaning towards the former because I've watched Mikami talk about this game and it's not me struggling to understand it. He literally went out of his way to just mess with the player and he thinks it's funny. He gets a kick out of it. Um and that's a risky thing to do with games, um, especially games with a few technical issues and that don't look beautiful like this game. Um, the story pulls on so many tropes and threads from horror and he tries to build something original, but it, it does just become so convoluted. Um, I'll get to the ending stuff. But, uh, so I, I will say I, the idea of this heartbroken brother turning madman and then working his life you know, to be with his sister, you know, incestuous or not, whatever, uh, it, it's tangible. Like, that makes perfect sense. We've all got friends or siblings that we bond with. We can kind of emphasise with that. Um, also, I just wanted to just jump in and say sort of like the scenes where you see his history with his sister and how she died and stuff, I thought mm. were some of the strongest parts of the story. Yes. Like, yeah, where yeah. that comes across as really cool. But sorry, go on. Yep. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk more about Rubik as well. But um, like here, all the extra s stuff that's tacked on top, which like we've said, or like you've both said, you only get a small part in the main game. And then I've only subsequently discovered because I've watched a YouTube video about it uh, with Mobius and Kidman and the conspiracy. This is where it becomes messy and less interesting. And the fact that it has one of the most boring protagonists at the center of it just doesn't help any of that um so there's all this backstory that it hints at which it doesn't give you you know the sort of stuff to hang on to apart from that stuff with ruvik and i think the story takes far too long to reveal its hand um it's um it's there's a difference between a good twist ending and one that drags out for the whole thing and so this game is like if you were sitting through the entire lord of the rings trilogy um without them explaining what the ring is, but you keep seeing it over and over and over. And that would be a struggle. You know, those films can be a struggle for some people anyway, but mm. that's what it is. There's all this stuff going on. It's dragging out the brain stuff. It's all in your mind. It drags it out longer than it needs to, um, which just makes it become a slog. Um, and the only thing I could kind of hang on to was the stuff with Ruvik. Um, the, it, do, it draws from loads of movies like Hellraiser, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House on Haunted Hill, Nightmare on Elm Street, Street, The Ring and The Grudge, all this dream horror-like stuff, which in mm. principle is good. But again, it's like less of a smorgasbord. 
and more like a fridge with gone off bits of food in it. It's just <laughs> like it just doesn't have anything that's really really tasty. Um and yeah, and then the ending, like, like I said, the the twist ending I mentioned, and then I think you've covered all the stuff about the DLC. I completely agree. Like having to play that, and I'd mentioned some of this stuff in my notes about Kidman. Like having to play the DLC to get all that is kind of criminal. But um, even with the convoluted story, the characters could have maybe saved it. Um, but the main one, as I've said, is lacking personality. So is Kidman, and it doesn't help sell the whole thing. There's parts that are really boring and it's just kind of a slog to care. And so, as I've said at the start, you know, this is Mikami trying to make a horror masterpiece, a horror epic. And it just, yeah, it's just a huge mess as far as I'm concerned. There was three, maybe four characters I gave a damn about in this game. I'm going to be honest, just just cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Like Ruvik, mm-hmm. you know, obviously main villain yep. has the most backstory. Is like, you know, crazy, creepy. It has a uh, honestly kind of catching, disturbing design to them. Sure. Um, you know, Leslie, I kind of like the fact that there's some poor kid mental patient you're trying to save and they they are they strangely know but don't know and can affect the reality themselves around them. Oda is the best uh, best sidekick I think I've ever seen. Uh in despite the fact that they have backstabbed you twice, you still trust them and then you have to fight them as a boss in one of the DLCs, but they still come back to life anyway. But you know, it's it's Yuri Lowenthal, so we we love them anyway. <laughs> and then uh depending on how you look at it, uh the doctor Jimenez, um, they come across as like stern and normal, but then you realize, ah, it's actually all your fault. Uh, you know, Ruvik's evil. He's the core of this thing, but you put him there. Mm. You know, I, I kind of like that. It's like uh, if Birkin had to deal with Lisa Trevor as a human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You've actually hit on something that you may have answered a question that I was going to ask, basically, is with it's Joseph, right? That's his first name? Mm-hmm. Agent Oda or whatever. Joseph um, Oda, yeah. So he has a whole storyline where he may or may not be infected and he kind of sort of starts yeah. having weird flashes of, you know, urges for violence and stuff like that. Um, so is there a resolution to that in the DLC? Because you just said, you know, there's a boss fight. So I didn't know uh, in the DLC, it's actually set, uh, midway through the game when the Sebastian and him are separated. Uh, they mm-hmm. have a confrontation where he's basically being puppeted by Ruth but had sort of knows oh. and doesn't know what's going on. Uh, his fate is still up in the air and is sort yeah. of hinted at. <laughs> okay. His fate I is mean, up that... in the air, but he's he's known to be alive as of the end of I the think... DLC and the yeah. Okay. Well, I think they've it's... brushed him under the rug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually funny because he was intended to die, as it turns out. But uh, yeah. lead artist Ikumi Nakamura, you know, the uh, It's Spooky lady from uh, Ghostwire, uh, oh. she basically went out of her way to make sure he lived or she was going to give Mikami hell. So that's why his fate went from being dead to ambiguous. Okay. Because of that, this, that sweet lady at E3. This puppetry boss fight, uh, did you say it takes place sort of once you get separated and then like between yeah, yeah. you find it, him again a, in the city? Is that... It's essentially a, a stealth kill match. Uh, okay. He's got a gun, you've got to sneak around him and then uh, okay, that's him a few times. It's, it's pretty somewhat... good actually. Interesting, but even more insulting then, in fact, that that's in the DLC. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah. in, because in the game, that is one of the most interesting parts of the plot. Um, and then and about chapter six or seven, he vanishes, and then you see him again several chapters later, and they never talk about it. And that's mm. it. The infection storyline just goes nowhere. That's the whole thing. He was one of the characters I was actually interested in. Uh, as, you know, it's quite rightfully been described, Sebastian's incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> 
I was more interested in this dude, but then his story went nowhere. And more to the point, the word disappointment about the story is there's one particular line that really like made me go, oh, okay, that's cool. Where they talk about, and I don't know if this is sort of just like musing or fact, but the whole idea of like, oh, they're inside the killer's mind, but everyone that's plugged into the machine is kind of doing their own contributions to this weird world. But that doesn't really go anywhere. Like Sebastian has all these documents about his past, which as I hear kind of inform some of the sequel and, you know, stuff like that uh, about his own backstory and his family. But none of that really comes up in the story. That would have been interesting to see sort of his fears and stuff actually played out as a part of this world of combined fears. Uh, Joseph's fear infection that never gets resolved. Like they don't actually do anything with that line. It would have been nice to see these characters actually overcome something. Yeah, but instead, no, it, it is just string until uh, inevitable, terrible conclusion. That's yeah. the, that's the, easily the worst part about this. Sebastian is a gravelly voiced nobody. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you if you would completely skip his files, which I suppose is technically doable, you never learn a damn thing about him other than he's gravelly cop man, you know. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that obviously, you know, we're talking about the first game here, the sequel. That his entire backstory, which is a, he's obviously touched on in this, becomes the main focus, and he becomes mm-hmm. from a gravelly voiced man to a slightly normal voiced protagonist with an actual story in this he's just a blank slate he, he's a yeah. he's a boring miserable sod who just you know complains fights monsters complains again fires a rocket launcher is confused the end you know there's, there's nothing to him mm-hmm. uh, and even they almost touch on it as well like when you do read those diary entries and realize that he has a history of horrible incidents involving fire and so has the villain you're like oh that's kind of intriguing oh no never mind doesn't matter <laughs> a, slight, a slight morbid joke between me and my partner was, you know, oh, yeah, you see, the reason why I find these alcohol bottles around is because it's his coping mechanism, which is actually part of That's his true. files. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. the, <laughs> slightly macabre humor, perhaps, but I did find it funny that I was finding alcohol to actually defeat monsters, you know. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, they could have actually played upon that. Yeah. Done something with it. But no, just Mikami was more interested in just. Look at this weird, spooky thing. Oh, suddenly you're here now. There's another weird thing. Oh, it's another weird thing. Like it's just meaning. By the end, it becomes meaningless. And again, the problem with dream logic is there's no stakes to it when you're inside somebody's yeah. imagination. Like uh, d- the end of this makes no sense. Like how they defeat him. It yeah, people they don't defeat work. him, do they? Well, he no, just walks exactly. Out. It's just... I do like that people can die in this thing and still live, still live. Technically, though, like uh, I'm pretty sure you die. Uh, uh, Oda definitely dies at least mm. once. Uh, and and then certain people, if they die once, they're gone for good. Uh, you know, like Jimenez, uh, Connolly, yeah. or the turnaround zombie, Mr. Brook. Uh, the rules aren't very tangible. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't like it. Even, I mean, that's dream logic for you, though. You know, mm, the more I'm talking about this game, the more it's annoying me. And I can still turn around and say I had a good time. That's scary. Well, that's good. You know, again, like we said, the gameplay um, is something <laughs> just don't put too much stock in the story and just trying to follow it i don't think really the visuals um, are nice the spencer mansion homage was like you know probably my favorite bit from the outside i've watched friends and colleagues die before part of the job that i've taken and it's never easy but nothing can compare to losing your own child I'd die a million times over to prevent it, but I can't. 
I felt so helpless when they lowered that tiny coffin into the ground. The pain is unbearable. I know I shouldn't, but drinking is the only thing that's let me sleep for the last few weeks. I'm worried about Myra. This has been extremely hard on her, and her way of handling it has been unnerving. She wants to be alone, has taken to staying up all night, says she's doing work to keep her mind off of the tragedy, but she seems to be closing herself off to the world. I know what tends to happen when couples lose a child, and I hope that we're strong enough to avoid it. Okay, so before we talk about graphics and stuff, Kelsey, I'm going to pass it over to you. Any thoughts? We've talked a little bit about characters, but uh, any thoughts on the cast of Evil Within? Yes, I've got a few thoughts. Um, so, you, yeah, you've touched on a few things which I completely agree with. Sebastian, he's blander than a pre-village Ethan Winters, I wrote here on my notes. Um, he's got weird costume. He's dressed like he's in the 1800s, even though it's 2014. Um, as far as his motivations... Yeah, apparently he's kind of affected by his past and he's turned to the bottle to deal with that. But then nothing is done with it and he doesn't exude much of a kind of, you know, uh, what's, you know, troubled or, you know, distressed character. Right. Yeah. And kind of for someone who like he, he's supposed to give off this vibe, maybe he doesn't have much to live for. And but then he's like really determined to escape. He literally says a few times, like, gotta get out of here. And it's just like, why? Like, what's short? I would have liked to have seen something where he's like almost embracing everything that's happening to him. And it's almost as if it's like a like a typical sort of thing. Um, but there's nothing interesting done with him. And he's so surface level and cliche, middle aged, disgruntled detective. And I have so little to say about him, like as a protagonist, he just misses the mark. I couldn't care less any time he got spiked. I just missed the part where I'm supposed to root for him or care, really. Mm. Um, my uh, favourite character, as I kind of alluded to, is Rubik, Assassin's Creed cosplayer, Ruben Victoriano. <laughs> um, this, despite the clunky story, yep, far, by far the most interesting character. The plot is insane, but at least his motivation is clear. Um he, uh, as an antagonist, he works great. Every time he shows up, it's kind of like, you know, oh, what's he going to do now? You know, he's he's a one-hit kill in a couple of um, scenarios as well. Mm. Not a fan of his constant smirking, which I think went way overboard. I think that didn't kind of tie into his personality, which was a more determined and super genius guy than Smug. Um, mm. Yeah, it was weird. Um as but as a villain, there was definitely something to him. I think I think they play their hand too early with on the CCTV where you see him teleporting, and it just comes off silly right at the beginning, and that annoyed me. But as I said before, frustrated how long it took to explain everything that was going on with him. Um, but when it was all said and done, I got it. I, I he's still for me the most tangible character in the whole thing. Um, so big fan of Rubik. Um, Kidman we've sort of talked about you know annoyingly you have to play the DLC to understand more the point of that character yeah um, from what I do know she's like you know the de facto yeah Ada Wong separate ways character um, but and I haven't played the DLC and like I say I just watched it I actually think 
she could have been the main character of the game and we could have had like a double twist at the end and then Sebastian could have just been the annoying side character. Um, yeah. So, and then Leslie, like, it's funny because I almost forgot about Leslie, like when we've been talking about this game until one of you mentioned the name. Um, but yeah, interesting. Um, but you just, again, there's so many bits missing and you just don't have anything to really hang on to. Um, and then there was one other thing I really wanted to raise and like, we might talk about the enemies a bit more cause there's, I think there's three key enemies we probably should talk about in the sadist, oh. the keeper and Laura, but as for this main cast, so the, the acting is so lazy. Um, and I don't want to say they're bad actors cause I don't think that's the case, especially with, uh, Jackie o Haley, who plays Ruvik, who's like an absolute legend of an actor, but I watched some footage of the actors and they're so subdued in their performances and it lacks a lot of energy. And this is um, Anson Mount and Jennifer Carpenter's first and only ever video games. Um, so they play Seb and Kidman and they're both fairly prolific TV actors. Um, wait, 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 three wait, of... wait, sorry. Anson... sister, yeah. Is Anson Mount Sebastian? Did it... Is that what you're yeah. about to tell me? Yeah. I didn't even realise that. Mount. Yep. That's Sebastian. Yeah. And so so these are like three really prolific TV and movie actors that have been cast as this core three. And they've never done video games before. Um just sorry, just fact check on that. Jackie uh, has actually done some video work for the like a small watchman video game tie-in that he did, but nothing like this caliber. And I think what we had here is Mikami wanting to make this movie level video game, you know, like I say, his masterpiece is epic. But then sometimes when movie and video game worlds collide, the results are a bit messy. And it reminds me of when Kojima cast Keith Sutherland in place of David Hayter, which is probably the biggest mistake of his career. Um, Keith Sutherland is not a bad actor, but he's not a video game voiceover actor. And you watch the footage of these guys making this game and it's almost like they're not taking it seriously. And I think they should have found voice actors who had done some more video games because, yeah, personality does not shine through, particularly with Seb and Kidman, as far as I'm concerned. You've blown my mind. I had no idea. That makes it even worse. Because <laughs> you're right, he's such, a, he's such a talented actor. Like, mm -hmm. he's completely fine, but there's nothing more than fine to it. And again, I think, like, the, the, the actual character is so damn boring, so there's nothing for him to actually work yeah. with anyway. But God, that's yeah, that's yeah. Just, I don't think any of the voice acting personally was particularly bad, but you know, it was fine or above, like and 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 only fine up to like good, like nothing great, nothing terrible. It's just there. Yeah. Um. Actually, to to that end, then you said creature design. Let's talk about that because I hadn't. Really yeah, yeah. Just thought about that too much. Sorry, just quickly because obviously the enemies are a huge part of this game, and you know we could talk like the haunted slash zombies. You know, there's that's what they are but i think particularly so the sadist is he's the texas chainsaw massacre dude um i like that the haunted know that he's a nutcase and they keep him tied up like that's mm -hmm. quite a cool little thing and although chainsaw wielding maniac is completely overdone i chainsaws i don't think ever lose their charm so i didn't hate him you know he's <laughs> he's he's silly he's generic but you can't beat the sound of a revving chainsaw um it can be quite scary um the keeper does look good. This is the guy with the safe on his head, but it's just a rip off of Pyramid Head. Pyramid head. And yeah. 
there's like a really cool visual where he tears his head off and like collapses to the floor and it's like mm. whoa that's pretty horrific but aside from that lazy it's just trying to capitalize on pyramid head um i and i did i really like laura she's you know based on the classic Jap- i know it's obviously rubik's sister but you know the design is based on the classic japanese ghost girl with long back hair which lots of people think is popularized you know what was just kind of invented with the ring and the grudge but it's not this is like a japanese folklore thing yeah you know we th- we think of a uh, white sheet with two eyes but in japan it's like this image is that is their their classic ghost this spirit seeking vengeance so i do like her design especially the sounds i don't know why ruvik would be manifesting her in this way um because mm-hmm. that's what I suppose is happening. You know, mm. he's projecting all this stuff. So it's kind of like a mix of his last memories of her, like screaming and burning and on fire. But then he wanted to be with his beautiful sister, not this thing. So kind of weird. But um, yeah, love the sound design. And apparently they included, um, they have the screams, but they, they chucked a few other sounds in there, just like droning noises. But like they scratched nails on chalkboards and stuff mm. like that to kind of come out of her. So I really like that. But yeah, I just thought those three, you know, they're the three. There's a couple of other bosses, but those are the three that keep coming back in the game. And uh, it's a it's a mixed bag. But um, yeah, Laura, the sound design, absolutely loved that. Mm, I mean, I could do without the sadist, personally. Um, yeah. <laughs> again, you know, it's been nine years or whatever. So we've had even more years of chainsaw wielding and power tool wielding Resident Evil yeah. earnest. Um, but again, Shinji Mikami playing the hits, like looking at the things that worked about Resident Evil 4 and just literally dragging and dropping them onto this game. Uh, but I, I agree, you know, Laura's a really cool design. The boss fights are, uh, yeah, they're fun. They're different. You know, they're a bit more, not, oh, puzzle is a strong word, but it's not just blast mm. her with ammo till she's dead. You know, you've got to lead her to certain areas and, you know, open these pits for her to burn and stuff like that. So that's cool. The keeper design's really cool. I agree. The animations are great him pulling his head off and sort of there's moments where you have to like operate these valves and you can see him rising out of the smoke like a, yes. these random safes that are dotted around one just rises into the air and he spawns out of it I was like that's really cool um the, the, the resolution of his character i felt like it could have been something a little bit bigger but it, maybe it's kind of cool in its creepy sort of downplayed way i'm not sure but oh yeah other than that nothing else really stands out for me to be honest i didn't even realize they were called the haunted i just was like oh they're zombie like guys but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, you know steve thoughts on the overall creature design any standouts for better or worse uh, you yeah, know literally laura and the keeper uh you know yeah. I, I like that in the model viewer it gives you a little bit of background lore for them um the keeper is meant to be Rubik's need for keeping secrets and revenge for those who take them uh, that's cool okay hmm. you know laura is literally both his anger at losing laura his love for laura and you know uh, his will to see her alive again made into some kind of abomination thing Mercedes is meant to be some serial killer who got plugged in and then got brainwashed with his rage. So th- th- there's not much to it. Yeah, so uh, an excuse for a yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone played RE4 once and then died in STEM. That's what it could have been. It might as well be. <laughs> um, the Haunted are also just people who've either died in STEM or been taken over by Rubik. There's not really much to them. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I like the, it's the, the Silent Hill methodology. Well, Silent Hill 1, yeah, one. I mean, one's got like Alyssa's demons, and then like 2 and 3 are based around the player characters. I love that the fact that there is actually a, a yes. tangible reason why they're like this. 
Um, there's only one we don't know about, really, and that's the DLC Monster Shade, which is uh, the one that stalks Kidman, which if you look at it from one perspective, I've seen a few uh, people have a crack at it, and it might be Ruvik's interpretation of Kidman because it's like a lady wearing heels with a flashlight versus a giant monster with legs and heels and a flashlight for a head. Mm. Um, which is it's it's messed up, but I, I kind of like it. The designs themselves, the actual like the big the big baddies, not so much the generic zombie types, but uh, they have a lot of effort into them. I would argue they they are what sell the game for me because they obviously are a big feature of the gameplay. Um, as for which one is the 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 top of the bunch? It's got to be Laura because they have the most gratuitous death scene in any video game I think I've played in <laughs> a good decade where they literally pound your face into mush and then lick your neck. It's uh, <laughs> it's messed up. It, it'd be great if it didn't happen about 15 times in the one yeah. boss fight. But, but other than that, you know, <laughs> definitely stays with you. And um, the, the, you know, the haunted ghost girl aesthetic obviously helps. The fact she's crawling through corpses. Crawls on the ceiling, looks at you like you're about to get your face smashed in. Oops, we've died twice in the same paragraph. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I agree. You know that sort of neatly brings us in the direction of sort of the overall look of the game and stuff. And I think whilst we're actually being positive, which is nice, um, the gore in this game is is great. You know, it's mm. almost cartoonishly over the top. You know, the way that Sebastian can literally just fall apart into bits when he's hit by certain you know like chainsaw and stuff like that full-on spraying decaps and even you know we've mentioned it a few times but the turnaround zombie getting a full uncensored version like it was meant to have way back in resident evil with all the uh power of uh 2014 at the time uh it, it looks good you know i like the death sequences they're good fun you know they're memorable regardless of how over the top, whether you know you think that's good or bad, and maybe they hinge on uh dark humor in how silly they are, but I definitely thought they were they were memorable, yeah, they have that like school of thought of like um dead space, and yes, yeah, yeah, totally, that's a great comparison, yeah, and, and I would dare say like you know any game where you can be put into a danger state, not unlike Resident Evil, most <laughs> enemies have a distinct kill animation it's cool. it definitely. It's a, it's again, it's that macabre bit of um, messed up voyeurism. But like, I wonder how many different ways Sebastian can die to this one yeah. guy with a hatchet. Oh, turns out about five or six. Oh my goodness, you really yeah. went to town. Um, <laughs> and they, yeah, they put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into them. I think that the designs themselves, when they're not being just like here's gore and gratuity, as in the environments and things, and the actual monsters themselves and the way they move. I think do generally look fantastic. I think they, they know how to frame a shot. You know, I'm not saying he's the Ridley Scott of video games, um, but you know, it falls down to the fact that there is a draining amount of drain on the player when they want to take away their resources, when they want to have a story that's convoluted and messy. Uh, but when you pull it apart and look at the, the individual aspects, there's a lot of strong things in the evil within, um, you know, as we've already said. I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm going to pass the book on to somebody else. No, I, I agree. You know, um, obviously, again, nine years old, so it doesn't look completely spick and span, but I think that it's aged fairly decently, considering, you know, and it's playing, it's on a PS4 this time, and I played it on Xbox One previously. Um, either way, as we said at the beginning, sort of early life for that generation. Um, sometimes those first sort of 
year maybe two of games on a new generation get looked back at as kind of like a little bit a little bit shaky before they figured out you know how exactly to get the best out of that console but i think you know it looks solid it's good you know um lighting is a is a highlight i thought obviously quite important in horror which is obviously good because you could then hide sort of things that don't look as nice in the darkness and point you where you need to be looking so you know that's good it does have a few issues with texture pop-ins um always did um mm. still literally m- memorably so i even remember specific scenes uh where it pops in um and yeah still the same it's it, well, it wasn't overly distracting because i'm highly aware that it's you know an old game from that era um so yeah graphically completely fine with it really nothing took me out of the game particularly um uh, music wise same with the voice acting, really did, don't have a whole lot to say. It serves a purpose, I suppose. I don't remember any of it, couldn't harm you a single part of it. Um, it's the classical like, music in the save room. That's probably not right. it. Aside from Claire de Lune, which obviously yeah, yeah, isn't, yeah. isn't written for Evil Within, which I think is a fantastic choice um, of a piece of music. It's obviously a wonderful piece of music. So it's now when I hear it, I think of this game, whether I want to or not. But it's. I think it's worked quite well. Kelsey, I agree with you, perhaps, that walking around the save room, conceptually, it's a cool idea to walk around that little sort of reception area, but it's, it's adds up a lot of extra time by yeah. the end of the game. But I do like the idea of this sort of like, you know, despite all my complaints about the dream logic, with this sort of little area in, in nothingness, sort of in the ether where you can go to be safe um, and you can sort of hear this music if you're getting close to one of the mirrors that you can peer into that takes you there. So it's like a calling card of the saver room before you're even in it, you can hear the music and you're like, ah, I can go over there and finally save this damn game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that, that worked to great effect to me, but I, yeah, the rest of the music couldn't really tell you anything about it. Um, Kelsey, how do you feel about, I know you had some things to say about the graphics. Yeah. I was gritting my teeth, to be honest, through all of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Um, what, so to be fair, yeah, like I've, I've said this already. When There's plenty of times in this game where if you stand still, it looks really nice and you can see the environments. The framing of the environments, like Steve said, is really nice. There's some ni- nice atmosphere. The lighting isn't terrible and all that. But, you know, th- it's a game. Uh, you're very rarely stood still. And for me... The graphics are a bit of a missed mark on this. And I think this is a case of aiming really high. Mikami said he wanted this to look realistic and not stylized. And so with all this trippy stuff that happens in the game, like this has got to look good or it's going to fall apart. And this is this came out in the first year of the Xbox One. But it's it's it is an Xbox 360 game like it is. And Mm. it was made, you know, it was in development for a fair bit of time. It was made basically using Xbox 360 technology. For me, graphically, you know, stepping away from sort of the whole thing, you know, graphics don't make a game. We know that, but this game falls apart in other places as well. And so visually and graphically, for me, there's so much, there's a lot of aliasing on the edges, which makes it look unpolished. Uh, it's in t- at times either just too dark or too light with not enough in between for me, which doesn't help that atmosphere. Again, that city street sequence, just can that, cut that. I don't know how yes. that yeah. made it into the game. It's so bad and ugly. Really not a fan. Uh, the character animation is 
it was apparently mo-capped, but I don't know what happened because at times it looks like it was hand animated and like they run really weirdly. Um, all of the characters do and almost sort of comically sometimes. And this carries over to the cutscenes. Um, we mentioned the black bars tobacco and that's hilarious. But um, one of the thing is with games, I often like to have the subtitles on. And this does a weird thing where every time the subtitle appears, there's a black bar behind it. And that just distracted me to no end. Um, I think it's missing the high level which this game is desperately striving to be. Um, I've seen some bits from the sequel, which obviously come out you know, much later and it looks a lot better or whatever. But this game fell victim, I think, to being made with older tech and it probably should have waited and been fully next gen. And just as, as a comparison, so I recently I was playing Gears of War 1 um, and I was playing it uh, so Xbox just gave an F- uh, FPS boost to these games and a 4K boost as well. And I was playing it before this happened, and that game looked great. With the FPF, FPS boost and the 4K, the 4K, it looks like a current title. And that game came out in 2006, and it looks infinitely better than this game. And okay, Gears of War 1 may have had a bit more money behind it. But again, just jumping back to the fact that Mikami wanted this to be realistic. He wanted it to be a real world. He basically wants it to be a movie. Um, it's just missing a polish for me. And it's a shame because the characters in the sequel look amazing. And I think this is a game that has to look good. And it doesn't for the most part. Um, it looks fine. Um, it's uh, it's not, you know, the technical things you mentioned, like the pop-in. Yeah, that's an issue. And... I've I get I know some some people have opinions where you know you shouldn't get hung up on this stuff with the graphics but you know they they've put an effort into the graphics they want the graphics to be good and I as far as I'm concerned the graphics there's no way the graphics are as good as they wanted them to be and I think I don't know if it just they just had to get it out the door and you know they couldn't wait any longer because as I said it had a long development time this game um so yeah it's missing that polish for me and stood still some of it looks fantastic once you're actually playing the game it just it feels like a average xbox 360 game for me that's fair you know um, you, sorry just, yeah just yeah it's just that our, our views on graphics are obviously you know we talked about this before very different so sure. that's completely fair i'm always interested to hear the other side of the argument i think it may yeah, be a yeah. case of hardware because obviously on, on pc and stuff it's it's not quite as yeah, it's funny you mention that because I watched I watched something on YouTube and it looked a million times better. And I was like, is this a mod or something that I'm watching? So and I didn't realize it came out on PC. So there is a good chance that that has, you know, that has it, a great know, deal of effect on this. It's likely that because it's running on Tech 5, which is, you know, uh, Wolfenstein and Rage's engine. Mm-hmm. And it being predominantly a FPS game normally made for PC, I would say that it's probably yeah. been hobbled for consoles, which may be why it's dampened your experience a fair bit, in this that regard. Particularly interesting, because as I said right at the beginning, the game has different scores depending on what, what version you've played, and the PC is the lowest score of the three, so that's interesting. Really? Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Forget everything <laughs> the, I just um... said the past ten seconds. <laughs> I don't know what I saw on YouTube, but it, it looked so much better, um, so I don't know what happened there, but, you know, and I, I, I will say, like, bad graphics don't... I love games with bad graphics, trust me. But, you know, we're, we're covering all aspects of the game here. And mm-hmm. we try, I try to, um, you know, I, I, 
there's games I'll play that have terrible graphics that I absolutely love and think are amazing, but it falls down in other places, like I've said, with the story and the performances, and it's like, oh, on top of that, it doesn't look that nice either. So mm. it's just like one thing after another. Um, uh, music, like you mentioned, is so incidental and almost non-existent. I also watched a video of the composer talking about this, and I swear to you, he literally said, we don't want the music to be noticeable in this game. And it's like, right, Fair okay, enough. well, you you achieved that goal. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh interesting choice for me um sure. but yeah it's kind of my feelings on the, the look and sound of it really just picturing hiring the composer now right mate I want you to come in and i want you to not excel at anything <laughs> <laughs> i want you to do the most bog standard job you can do all right gov no problem yeah uh, yeah uh, well, okay <laughs> steve what do you think of the uh the soundtrack and the visuals uh, yeah, besides Claire de Lune, like, I remember maybe one cool little bassy number towards the end of the game when you're going through the hospital again, but otherwise it's like, eh. Uh, visuals, yeah, I actually don't mind them. I think the motion blur is probably what's doing most people, but I, I mm. uh, yeah, I, mm. I, I, I'm fine with it. I like, I, when it's not just the, the over the top gore, like when you're walking on grey matter or something, then it just seems like a bit cliched, like I'm playing a quake level or whatever. When it's like a, an environment that's twisting around or going a bit, um, where, the, the famous artist with the weird paintings that's all staircases. That's uh, um, MC Escher. Yeah, when it's when it's going a bit Escher esque, that's what I want mm -hmm. to say. That's when I really enjoy the architecture and stuff and design and visuals, uh, which is actually mm. again I, I can't believe I've said this. I'm not trying to, but the sequel, you know, sequel's better, guys. I just, just, just say, um, you know, it's okay. It's fine. I, this is a strange situation where the evil within is fine. Is probably my uh, overall catch-all. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. In fact, it, it, that being said, then Steve, would you like to uh, expound on evil within is fine? Let's do final thoughts and conclusions. Would you recommend the evil within at this point? If you have a weekend free and you're not against being uh, punished by a game, if you can find that little bit of uh, twisted satisfaction of beating a challenge, playing the Evil Within on casual is not a bad time. If you, however, are like me and occasionally like the Odd Souls game or something like that, maybe go a bit further deep. Don't go onto a Kumu difficulty where everything is a one-hit. The game is already drowning in one-hit kill monsters. You won't have a fun time. The story is complete nonsense, but it's nonsense that you can sort of like, squint and maybe digest, but you don't have to. Mm. Uh, mm. Music, as we've already said, is a bit eh. You know, there's a few classical pieces used to uh, an effect in there. And the final boss is complete knackers. So jump onto the sequel. It's better. <laughs> knackers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I was... Interested to play this again um, after five years or whatever, um, because as I said I remember enjoying it more than I did definitely, um, and I'm I, I'm I'm glad we had this discussion because I felt like I was going to come in and absolutely rip the thing to shreds, and I've been kinder than I thought I was going to be to be honest. Um, God, I think no, you know I think no, don't play it. It's not worth it. The problem <laughs> is like it's not without merit by any mean at all. The, the, mm. the, there's some cool parts in there sprinkled in, but the thing, the, the game's, maybe this is just me, but the game's like 15 hours long and it needs to be something like seven. So it's kind of a slog to get through the 15 hours just to enjoy the cool parts. So 
I mean, if you're really hurting for something, it's definitely not going to be a horrible time, especially if you play it on casual. You know, the Keeper boss fights are cool. The Laura boss fights are cool. The crossbow's fun. There's a few, like, fun little twists, like I say, with the uh, shifting between areas before it gets pretty old. But I don't know. I just I felt like this time I, I just wanted it to be over while I was playing it before I finally gave in and said, no more. I'm just going to watch the rest. I'm... It's sad to say, I don't like doing these negative review shows. Um, but yeah, didn't enjoy it this time, and I don't mm-hmm. think I'll play it again. I'm curious about the sequel, definitely, but I don't see myself ever playing this again now. Uh, that's that's it for me. Um, and KDB, this was your part of shame choice. How do you feel about it now? Are you glad you played it? Um, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, um, I am glad I played it. Uh, so as I've said... Mikami is kind of he does he's done a Tarantino here and wants to make his masterpiece late in his career he's pulling on all of his favorite references and themes he's smashing it all together to make like the most mind effed game and like almost do like an Andy Kaufman and troll the player um yeah. and there's this feeling of you're not supposed to understand it and you're supposed to struggle which in a way, is like a bold and genius move. However, this is a game. It's not a passive experience. And I think it just asks too much of the player. Uh, I went on a journey with this. I started out, honestly, kind of enjoying it. And then by chapter 11, I almost quit. Um, but then by the end, I, as silly as it was, I had softened, softened on it and... Like I've mentioned, I did a bit of sort of extra homework on this one and I went and read some stuff about it and watched Mikami talk about it. And I've definitely softened and I can see its strengths very clearly. We've we've mentioned them. You know, I agree with what you just said there. Um, And I do think time will be nice to this game Um, in the here and now. And when this game come out, I think the standard is so high across the board. And sadly, like mediocre graphics, poor casting, and a story which could do with a hell of a lot of trimming makes this a mm. testing experience. Mm. Um, it's it's more kind of horror-centric than Resident Evil 4, but not as enjoyable. And I've been critical of RE4 in recent years, uh, so it's, it's not Mikami's masterpiece for me, but I absolutely recognise the effort. It's like a solid, mm, like, three out of five, I suppose. And I think if you've got a high level of patience, it's definitely worth playing. Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash FASpraypod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more over at fasprayPod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sarniak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. And Kelsey is at K underscore D underscore B underscore. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week.
losing my marbles, I think. Sorry, did you play any of the DLC? I'm assuming not. I've never played the DLC. I've played through the main campaign twice now in my life, but I've never touched any of the DLC. And I believe you and uh, Younger Sai are going to have a talk. <laughs> yeah, judging, kind of, yeah. Judging from your review of uh, Sai Reviews It. Yeah, my review of my old review is, this is bad. <laughs> I, I still haven't watched that. I need to. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> your opinions are and your beard annoys me. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely those things.